Hello and welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. No one makes New Haven tick more than Mayor Tony Harp. She's here in the WNHH studio for her weekly Mayor Monday checkup on what she and we are up to in the Elm City. Welcome, Mayor Harp. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to see you on a sunny day, which will get warmer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's teasiness. It is. <laughs> I have a feeling, though, it's coming. And if you have a question for the mayor, feel free to pop it to us via Facebook Live. Go to the New Haven Independent Facebook page, and you'll see the video right there. And thanks to Gateway Community College and Birch and Moses PC for providing financial support for today's program. So, Mayor Harp, before we went on the air, we talked about it was a fun weekend in New Haven. Yeah. And you went to something that uh, Brian Slattery had a great time at. He wrote an article in The Independent about it. I guess you had a good time, too, at the Elks Club. A fundraiser for the new Stetson Library, right? Which is in the process of raising, I guess it's two million dollars. It's getting for it's getting pretty closer. far along, yeah. Uh, to be, have a big role in the new Q House, and uh, and the community's behind this. People are very excited about. It. They're all fun events going on. And yesterday there was an event with Mo Pleasure, who's a well-known jazz musician. Correct? Yes. Was born in New Haven, lived his first seven years in New Hallville, and there was a jazz performance. I guess also veered into Marvin Gaye territory, which is legit for jazz and. Mm-hmm. And uh, so tell me about it. Well, it was a, a lot of fun. And, and you know, um, Mo Pleasure. And then there was a gentleman whose name escapes me. Um, Ron Lawrence was on guitar, I believe. And the singer was excellent. Uh, that's the, the name that escaped me. But, that you know, look, the um, all of the musicians were what I would call grade A musicians. He's a national musician. He's a yeah, recording artist. Yeah, absolutely. And the music was just phenomenal. And everybody, there was standing room only almost. <laughs> and you know, I you know, Althea Norcott was uh, very instrumental in in chairing this event, I believe. And at least I've had a lot of discussions with her about it. And she was worried that people might not come. But you know, it was standing room only. I'm people were having a great time. Yeah. Uh, and the music was. Uh, you you would pay for a lot more for that kind of music, and expect it to be in a, in a much bigger venue. It was it was intimate. It was um, f- the music was phenomenal. People got together. I think who hadn't seen each other for years. It was just it That's was right. A they said it was event. as much a reunion as a fundraiser. Di- Diane Brown, the Stetson librarian, who's been along with Athea Norcott, a bunch of other people, Elsie yeah. Chapman, and others. Yep have been uh, raising the money, going out and doing these yeah. events. And Diane's, Michael Moran, don't forget him. Michael Moran, yeah, he's <laughs> always in the mix with the library. Yeah. And Diane talks about how important it is not just to raise money, but to raise connection to the community library. So when she was at the Hill House High School the other week, she went to all the high schools with Robert Gibson to do a fundraiser for Stetson. And okay. they set up a pushkey, we call it, you know, where you put the coins in. Mm-hmm. And it's not that that's going to pay the whole $2 million, although there is matching money from Seedlands Foundation. It does mm-hmm. all add up. She wants people to feel like they put something toward that institution when it opens. I mean, there's a Stetson Library now that people invest in. So she's investing people. So yes, the $2,500, it's great. But it's also the feeling yeah. that this community past and present cares so much about this library. It's very happy with the success it's had as a, anchoring the community and, and having a bigger future. No, I think that that is really the most important thing, that uh, everybody needs to feel like the library is is part theirs and so by investing a few dollars that get matched uh that's one way to make sure that you uh have 
you own it. That's right. <laughs> and you taught me something before we went on air, which is that Mo Pleasure's name is Pleasure. That's the last name because he knew his mother, mm-hmm. a school teacher around here. So right. Morris Pleasure, that's, that's a, a fun fact. It is a fun fact, yeah. And so uh, something else that happened this weekend was the March for Our Guns. Yes. That's what they called it where the NRA had counter demonstrations. But in most of the 800 demonstrations <laughs> around the world was March for Our Lives, which was uh, trying to counter the, um, the influence of the National Rifle Association, the NRA. Student-led protests all over, including um, in Connecticut. And there was a busload that went from the Stetson Library. Mm-hmm. So did, you know, there you go. That's, of course, where it left from for the Urban League sent kids starting at three in the morning. And there were 20 kids from this area. Um, Christopher Peake was there and wrote about it for the Independent that went all the way, they went all the way to Washington to be part of this. They felt like history was being made, like the Women's March. The um, in, They had a big rally in Guilford, in Hartford. Did you happen to make it to any of those? Or? No, I didn't make yeah, it to any either. of those. Yeah. I watched some of them on, on television. So what do you think about the impact? We talked last week about the walkouts in New Haven and... I was a little concerned that there might not be a stated agenda. I think issues like background checks, banning assault rifles, it seems to me that was a clear message this time. What did you think? Well, I think so. And also that, and I know that it's, it's, it's cliche now, but that at, for our young people to say our lives matter, mm-hmm. that we are your future, and, um, and you should treat us now the way you expect us to be later. I, that, that's kind of uh, a message that I got. And, and that um, the frustration with these young people in really believing that adults are not listening and cannot hear them. I think they're right. So the, uh, the quote, one question obviously is what's this going to mean in November? Will it translate into countering the influence of the NRA at the ballot box? It seemed to me, and this could have just been the skewing of the coverage, that even though a lot of suburban Republicans are part of this cause, it was an anti-Trump, anti-Republican uh, Congress feel to the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that there's, I, I, I believe that just on this one issue I mean, that these young people can activate the, the vote for a Congress that's going to bring some balance uh, to our nation, which I think that we're we're not seeing, and it's hard to get young people to vote in the same numbers. Well, it is hard, but I think that with this this, these rise. these young people uh, say, no, we've got to be heard, and the one way that you do hear our voice, and you know, our mind is through the vote. We'll get those that are just a little bit older than we are uh, to to move forward and vote. So, you and other people in Connecticut who have elected office who favor gun control. You've obviously focused a lot of your efforts at the state level. We, we considered to have some of the st- most stringent gun control legislation in the country. You voted for that stuff. There have been articles from page New York Times that it's actually cut significantly the amount of suicides by gun and overall shootings. Right. Um, you, you were at a press conference recently supporting a bill by state rapper Senator William Tong, I always forget, um, to uh, ban bump stocks, and which can convert you know, easily into, um, mm-hmm. into assault rifles and and ghost guns but it does seem like another thing i was hearing in these rallies is that students feel like you need national legislation that connecticut does a good job with background checks let's say where police are allowed to have concern about somebody and take the gun away go to court take the gun away but that it's so easy to buy guns in other states without background checks up to 40 percent or more of the guns are bought without a background check either at a gun show or online that um there needs to be some kind of national effort no there has to be um one of the things that we've learned about a lot of the crime that happens here by gun is that 
people have purchased these guns legally in states that allow you to purchase guns with uh, no background checks or minimal. And um, and they bring them across state lines. And that's the real issue. That's why there has to be um, a national law so that people can't legally move guns across state lines without having gone through some sort of process. And have you talked about that, the African American Mayors Association? You You're know, the president of that group. Uh, we have had that conversation. Um, and I think by and large, almost all of our mayors are on board with it. Um, and I, I think the only only area where we there's a little bit of pushback is sometimes um, around military funding because a lot of the towns uh, um, where we have our mayors um, have also bases. Mm -hmm. But uh, by and large, I don't think there's much disagreement around guns in the hands of, of our citizens. It was really interesting. There was an interesting um, debate I think on CNN around whether or not these laws work and they were talking about Chicago. Look at all of the, the, the killings that have occurred in Chicago. Chicago as a city has even stronger gun laws than Illinois does. And it's the same problem. You buy the guns out in South suburban Chicago in another town and you can bring them right into Chicago. And so the fact that they have strong gun laws and requirement has nothing to do with the amount of guns on the street. All right, Bob, you're on the air with Mayor Tony Harp. Good morning, sir. Nice to hear hello, your voice. Hello, Mayor. How are you? Good morning, Bob. And hello, Paul. Hello, hello Paul. Bob. How are you? Good. I was watching a show yesterday, Mayor, um, along the lines of guns. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It was on um, Face the State show. Oh, that wasn't and Stormy Daniels. Oh, that was a different show. Okay. <laughs> but, the, but the president... Our, our the president of the class at Wilbur Cross was on the show. Oh, how nice! And um, she was asked by the uh, host reporter uh, whether she thought there'd be a shooting at um, Cross. She didn't think so, um, but she said that in the streets of New Haven, she knew of people that had gotten shot. She felt you'd get shot out on the streets before you would in school at Cross. Um, what's your response to that? Well, you know, we, we have been very blessed in our city without having some person come in and try to shoot up our schools. And, you know, as you know, we have metal detectors in our high schools, and, you know, we take people coming unarmed to school very seriously in New Haven. And we have had um, previously... Um, gang problems where we've seen people who've gotten their guns from out of state and come into our community and they've used them to, to, to create harm and to shoot uh, our young people. But we're seeing less and less of that in New Haven because of the work that we're doing with our uh, comm stat, with our community-based policing, and with our youth stat. And so, uh, and as well, um, Project Longevity, all of those things. I don't think any one of them is the one thing, but all of those things working together have reduced the amount of guns fired in our city and certainly re reduced, if not almost, reduced significantly the youth violence in our city. Uh, did you watch any of the rally in Washington this uh, weekend, the March for Our Lives? Or I did. I watched it. I, I'm so impressed with these young people. They are so impressive. 
Yeah, we did talk about the march, Bob. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm no, don't apologize. It's okay. Just let you know. Um, is there a march like that set for New Haven, Mayor, that you know of? Not that I know of. Well, we did have a march of the high school students. Yeah, we did. That was a, a week, week or two ago. All right, Bob. Hey, Bob, it's okay. great to hear you, man. All right, thanks, Thanks Paul. a lot. Hey, I did my homework, Mayor Harp, and you are listening to Mayor Harp on Mayor Monday and WNHH Radio, your home for community radio at 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenandpin.org. Last week, we got a, a, a question on Facebook from Aaron Good about what happened with the Farmington Canal Trail mm-hmm. and how a year ago, um, it, the last leg was supposed to be built mm-hmm. and um, or start to be built, and I found out an update. It is on track. So what happened is that to do the last part of the Farmington Canal, which is from Temple Street, Farmington Canal is the old canal and then railway from the 1800s that has been in, turned into a much used and beloved uh, nature trail. So, I'm mean, not nature trail, a, a walking and biking trail. Mm-hmm. It goes all the way up to Wallingford. Maybe one day we'll connect to the other pieces going to Northampton, Mass. And uh, that last trunk is very hard because it goes to the very center of the city from Temple Street to Long Wharf. So, for instance, it can no longer go all the way along the trail because it goes under the FBI building, so they don't want anyone under the building. And it's all the, when you're in the middle of a dense city, you have all these different people own property right next to it all along the way, and you have to negotiate with them for easements mm-hmm. and air rights. So a year ago, we struck a deal with the last property owners that are nearby uh, along the trail in principle. And it was approved by the Board of Alders. We don't have to go back to the Board of Alders on that. And that was the Conover people who own the garage and the Audubon garage that goes from Grove to Audubon. Right. And the uh, co-op, there's a cooperative that owns the old foundry building. They used to have the foundry music clubs, now mm-hmm. coffee. It has the, used to have a bookstore. Remember that? Mm-hmm. It's an office building and it still has the sheet music store upstairs. So what happened was that there's still all these little financial legal details that no one's fighting about. They just take a long time to do. So for instance, there's a bank, People's Bank, that has a subordinate, that has a mortgage on the garage and they have to sign something that's subordinate uh, permission that, you know, in case... Conover goes under about the fishes they still give. And also the state, the other end of it, um, where it's going to go along Olive Street. You're going to go along Olive Street to trail, and you're going to cross Water Street and go back under the um, highway bridge there by the train tracks. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, I was talking to Mike Scatella, your city plan guy, and uh, he said that it turns out the state was already doing some work there. They're paying for And they've paid for other work for bicycle improvements and pedestrian improvements. So you're talking to them about maybe incorporating some of the work they're already planning to do to have a dovetail. So it's all these little details. So Mike mm-hmm. told me that it is on track. No one's fighting about anything. So there's nothing that's looking like it's going to be a problem. And that uh, he's now thinking that by um, this summer, the bids will be out. And by this fall, it'll be built. It just takes time. It takes time. Yeah, that's great. So I want to thank Aaron Good again for um, for writing in that question. Also, there's some other little bit, few moving parts on the final design by Union Station. Again, when you have a final design... Every bit of design has to go back and get shown to everybody because, as he said, this is a, a multi generational build. So right. it's, you kind of have to have everybody know what's going on. We got a couple of um, questions here. Eric Bastiani from New Haven, who's also running for governor, and he lives in New Haven, and he says, Can you give justification? Ooh, he's asking why you should get a $10,000 raise when people are losing. I didn't get one. <laughs> <laughs> so you know like he's not the Our only one who doesn't think so yeah. <laughs> teachers are being laid off you you did get like a two thousand dollar raise of no 2, it wasn't even two thousand <laughs> it was the first raise for the position in what 20 years 20 years okay and and what you what the, and i remember this was a process and thank you for your question eric so you're getting a you're getting you you're still gonna be getting twenty thousand dollars less from the mayors in bridgeport waterbury oh yeah but eric's question is at a time when other stuff's getting cut how can you get a raise? You were saying well, you're gone but for But I don't t- think we're 
cutting all that much, to be honest with you. I think what we, unfortunately... You said kids don't have lunch in school. Kids have lunch in school. Kids, not only do they have lunch, but we're also doing dinner and breakfast. That's right, we just added dinner. Yeah. At a number of our schools. So he needs to get, he needs to get his facts straight. Well, I guess that's a good thing running for governor. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe he'll get it together. I still appreciate the question, Eric. And one thing that I thought was very interesting, we've talked about this, is that when you went for that raise... And people, anytime a politician wants to raise, everyone gets mad. And uh, yeah. the alders, I thought, acted quite responsibly, which is they said, we're not going to make this about Tony Harper or any particular mayor. Our constituents are concerned about this. We're going to come up with a process for having a raise that goes with the cost of living. I think they said every 18 months and adjust it with the cost of living so that we're not going to be in a situation again. So we're still going to have a mayor that gets paid less than other cities, and that's fine. But we're not going to go through a situation where there's no raise for a long, long time. And then when someone asks for one, it gets... It gets controversial and tied up in the personality, and um, and I and so they're gonna no, I think they have an automatic building. Eric also adds in: there's a lot of kids that can't afford lunch because their parents don't have the money. It's so free lunch in New Haven. And where does he live? I'm New sorry. Haven. Excuse me. He, may, he might want to visit a school. So every kid gets free lunch <laughs> in New Haven. Yeah. That's right, because yeah, once you get a certain percentage of your population that's low income that qualifies for free lunch, right. you get all that. Yeah. Okay. So, but, and actually the other thing that happens is in addition to feeding them dinner, I know that when there's a vacation coming on, this, the parents get very, I mean, the teachers get very concerned about kids not having anything to eat over school vacations. It is sad how much hunger there is in our poor neighborhoods. There was yeah. a survey that showed up the quarter or even half of the kids have, miss a meal in the month or more. And the parents should decide between rent. So there are groups like Jewish Family Services and others who are actually packing backpacks with food that they bring to the teachers quietly and the teachers send them home with the kids. And uh, I know teachers have been doing that on their own. I remember the principal over across years back was doing that. So anyway, thanks for the question, Eric. Thanks for the answer, Mayor Harp. Um, I was thinking if you could answer something else from Mayor Harp. I was a tiny bit confused about New Haven Promise. Mm -hmm. uh, promise, New Haven, New Haven Promise. New so, Haven Promise. New Haven Promise. So that's that great program. With that... promising New Haven students. How's that? Okay. <laughs> And that's if you go to, if you grow up here, you go to school, public school here, you get your B average and you uh, show up in school, do some community service, you get your tuition paid, right? At state schools that's um, right. and at the highest, uh, at state schools for the tuition and they'll pay um, UConn's tuition, which is the highest. Okay, now you just answered my question because last week you were an announcement at Albertus Magnus and Albertus Magnus College in New Haven is now going to give up to $15,000 a year in tuition and $5,000 room and board, a $20,000 annual promise for each of four years. That's 80K per kid mm -hmm. um, under the New Haven Promise Program. Now I just realized why I was confused. Albertus is not a state school. It's not. So they're joining the pack. Right. And tell me about that. Well, we're really excited about that. Um, the new president, President Camille, uh, de decided and got his board of trustees to agree to um, adding to what they currently get. I think currently in-state independent colleges get $1,000 a year um, out of New Haven Promise. So this will give the students then um, $16,000 who go to Albertus plus an opportunity to stay on campus even though they're New Haven residents. And we don't think a lot about Albertus Magnus in the public discussion in New Haven, but in fact so many people who grow up here or live here whether they're kids just at regular college age or adults who go back for degrees, they play a crucial role in our economy. Uh, they absolutely do, and they're great neighbors. They allow people in the New Hallville, um, Prospect Hill area to use their gymnasium. And today, this is hot off the news, Paul. Okay. 
hold your seat. Uh, we are w- trying to work out an agreement with Albertus Magnus to have them have their college team uh, use our walker w- rink. And so we are going to be doing some upgrades to that rink that would make it um, appropriate for college play. Where do they play now? They don't have a team yet. So we are going to oh, be, be bringing yeah, hockey be there. to Albertus. Yes. Oh, very and nice. they're going to use our our local rink, and right. you know we're we're remodeling it. It's it's going to be uh, something we hope to work with them to provide hockey to young people in our community, so that we can have little hockey leagues. Tell me about you mean. In other words, Albertus would also be involved in doing a hockey league. Uh, we're hoping. For kids? Yep, they're going to be looking into that, and it's i'm really excited about it yeah so would that be with money we've already put aside or would that be more money you know i think that one of the things that we'll be looking at is um since we've got to do upgrades beyond the upgrades that we've already planned because we do have money for um remodeling and upgrading the facility and we've been in the process of doing that uh, we're going to take it to another level and for the locker rooms that they will require um I, I believe that they are going to offset those costs. So was they, they'd pitch in for the locker rooms? Yes. And how did this idea come about? Uh, you know, I think it came about from uh, President Camille. All right. Yeah. All right. Now, there was a, uh, Eric Mastiano wrote in one more time. I've kind of lost my Facebook page here, but it was, he wrote in, I do love you, Mayor. Three exclamation points. Oh, he's so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it wherever I can get it. <laughs> Well, where are you getting it these days? <laughs> you are getting a little bit at um at uh hearings on the city budget every year, right? So all your department heads go. You call that love? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting love at those. You're catching something. So every year, and it's actually a very good um, process. Every year for the budget, when you have a proposed budget, you have a proposed budget right now, all your department heads go before the Board of Alders Finance Committee and have a hearing where mm-hmm. they answer questions. And it gives us a chance once a year to look at how governments run and get updates on stuff. And the guy who really got it last week was Jason Bartlett. Yeah. So he's your youth director. And they said, you know, Jason Bartlett, every year you come to us and you tell us the escape is going to open a youth center all day and night for kids at the community outreach center at Bethel church. And you, and now it didn't happen last year. You told us it was going to happen. You told us it was going to happen the year before. Now you're saying it's delayed again. And now you're asking us for more money. Some of a lot of readers, in the independent are saying, why don't we just pull the plug on it? We got the Q house opening a couple blocks away and it's going to cost a lot of money to run both of them. It's a different population of kids. Um, the escape is really for older um, teenagers. It's a drop in place. It's also going to be a place for um, homeless and runaway. Right. There's a, there's a teen homeless shelter. Right. And so it's, um, it's really sort of focusing on those young people who would be most likely disengaged. Whereas, um, the Q house that will have some of the older kids too, but it's going to focus on a lot younger, younger kids. Okay. Gonna, and there's going to be uh, a full gymnasium. We're so excited about that. So for those of any age really that want to get a lot of exercise, want to play basketball and some of the other things you can do indoors, you'll be able to do that at the new Q house. You won't be able to do that at the escape. Okay. But I guess the question some of that had was, could you incorporate the, other parts of the escape in there or you can't really get a homeless shelter in there. it's not big enough for a homeless shelter and it and it and it wouldn't really be appropriate for the kind of drop-in center we're going to have agencies in the escape mm-hmm. working with kids and so we've set it up in a way that um and we've set 
the Q house up in a, a much different way. It's going to be more recreationally sort of driven, as well as have a library, a health clinic, and an mm-hmm. elderly center. So uh, as a result, there's just not going to be room for that other um, in the Q house. So it's not that there's a limited amount of space we need in the community. There's actually a lot of needs that you need to couple oh, spaces. Oh, a lot. For. And, you know, one of the, the hopes that I have, we have a, a bill in, in the legislature, and we're hoping to get dollars so that we can do the old Barbell Club. Uh, or Right, in Trowbridge Square. Yeah, in Trowbridge Square. It's been sitting there. It's a city building. We've got, we need to remodel it. The people, the young people on the Hill need something else besides the Girls and Boys Club. And so... We're hoping that we will and get Juan that. And Juan Camilleri has made that a priority yes. at the Capitol this term. I got a feeling it might happen. I hope so. We've been we've been at now we've been at that one for at least two or three years. I know years. it's been on the. It's, sometimes you got to keep pressing year after year. You finally get it. I know it just takes time. Then how do you keep these things running? So if you're gonna have the escape, the Q House Trowbridge, how do you find the money to run these places? Well, you know, one of the things that we can do is that we do have staff that we can outstation. In these oh, that's right. Places. I remember that about the escape. That's part of the idea. Have some of the people working there instead of city hall. Right, right. And uh, and the same thing is is going to be true of you know the Stetson Library is going to be at the Q House. Um, the same thing is going to be true there. That we will likely, in all honesty, at the Q House have to hire um, someone. But we're going to have the elderly center there. So there'll be staff there. There'll be staff. At Those the existing staff. Okay. Yeah, so existing I never staff. heard that outstation before. That what? You said you're going to outstation. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like that phrase. Outstation. Yes. Away from city hall. <laughs> and the best news I read was that, um, and this is great that uh, the state's going to take care of $550 million of our debt and just assume New Haven's <laughs> debt next year, right? Isn't that what I read about the legislature decided? the wrong city, unfortunately. Oh, it wasn't New Haven? No. But we've been keeping our finances in good shape. We thought we'd get a little hand from Hartford. Well, it seems like you get your hand slapped if your finances are... Oh, okay, okay. Oh, okay. I didn't say that. Now you you're bringing that. it back, my heart. Okay, so the announcement, <laughs> what we learned last week was that the state, and this is not newly announced, the state has a program for cities that might be going bankrupt, Bridgeport and, and West Haven are in it. And what we learned last week was that, now tell me the exact details on this, $550 million of Hartford's debt is no longer going to be on Hartford's books, it's going to be on the state's books? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that the way that I understand it now, because I did speak to uh, someone from uh, Senator Looney's staff, that the legislature instead of sending the money directly to Hartford and letting them make a decision, is using the resource to pay down their debt, uh, their their debt service, which would mean that they would then have, um, so that that would be going directly to that, that the guarantee would be for 10 years. And I guess it's about... $40 million a year, although the legislature, uh, once it's elected, would have to enact it again, it, that it can't. Um, so they, so that still, they assume the debt, that that comes off Hartford's books. Well, yes, it does. For, for So what does that years. mean in real, like, for instance, we're, we, I'm trying to think, we, um, when we, when our proposed budget increase this year is increasing government, is it $8.7 million? How much is the budget going I up? think it is going, ours is going up uh, around um, 
15, I believe. So would that, if someone covered $40 million a year of our debt, would that cover our budgeting, our taxes? Oh, costs? absolutely. Okay. And we'd have some to spare. All right. So, and then, uh, <laughs> so the, the, the downside though, is that when you're bailed out by the state commission, a fiscal oversight committee has say over how you run your city, correct? Sure. To some extent, I haven't really looked at the fine print. I don't know. I don't know what the, um, um, difficulties are. I think that one of the areas that you would have to go to the commission for is, uh, if your staff wanted raises, so any union contracts would probably have to go. And then also bonding would have to go. So maybe we're in better shape <laughs> but, that we don't need a bailout. We'd have, wouldn't have to go for permission to run our city. But over the past, since 19, I'm not sorry, since 2011, they've already gotten a billion dollars from the state in bonding. So they just might not need any more. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, they are our capital city. And, we, and you know, honestly, I will be honest with you. I don't begrudge them that. I think that, in all honesty, that they're our capital city. We can't let them go bankrupt. My concern is that there isn't the same concern for other cities. Mm-hmm. And the whole question of fairness. Mm-hmm. All right. And the whole question of you listening to Mayor Monday and WNHH FM, your home for community radio, one of three point five FM live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. I actually I need you to explain another story to me. Uh oh. Now you got you got you see, explain to me that it's 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 hard for not New Haven that's getting the bailout. And Alberta's is not a state school, so they do promise. What was up last week with this hearing on single room occupancy, SRO conversion? I'll tell you what I was confused about. Okay, yeah. Okay, so maybe were, I can help you. Maybe okay, I can. There was this proposal by members of the Board of Alders mm-hmm. who are affiliated with the Unite Here Union to have a moratorium converting any hotels or rooming out any single room occupancy building. That means where a person rents a room, but there's a bathroom down the hall and it's inexpensive. Right. Any more conversions of them to market rate? They did that after the Duncan Hotel was bought, right. and Unite Here was asked the Duncan to have a neutrality agreement to let them have a union. And when the Duncans said no, they put this bill in to have a moratorium. As it turned out, the Duncan got the Duncan's owners got their permits in, so they could no longer have a moratorium effect to them. So this moratorium would no longer stop the Duncan from having a conversion. So the brakes were put on that proposal. And then the city plan commission looked at that proposal and the city plan staff and said, "This thing isn't legal. You drew this up without asking anybody else what should be in it. Why don't you take some time and rewrite it?" And then everyone agreed that we care about preserving affordable housing in town and there are no other conversions being planned right now. So they agreed to set up an affordable housing task force that was going to look more broadly at ideas for how to preserve affordable housing in New Haven. And yet last week, the bill was brought up again for a hearing. It lasted four hours as usual. And they're going ahead to pass this thing, even though no conversions are planned. It sounds like it can't affect the Duncan. City plan says it's not legal. What, what, what's going on? Why are they doing it? Because they don't, they don't say publicly their reasons for advancing things like this. I, I think that what they've said to me is basically what they've said to you, which is that they're very concerned about the level of market-level housing that is coming into the community and that they think that um, single-room occupancy housing, particularly for individuals, is um, in great demand and um, they want to make sure that we're not inadvertently doing something that will make it even less affordable in New Haven. 
that's there, that's my understanding. But that I don't buy it because because there, there's no other conversion planned. The only other single SROs are like the Y, which gets state funding. The ways the Y is not up for sale. Well, I think that they the are house. looking at what might happen in the future, and that there may be um, some that are not technically SROs, but operate in that way. And I think they ultimately would like to have this ordinance impact even those that are operating that way, but may want to change their use. Does that make sense? I don't know. (laughs) I'm sorry. I believe that's what you were told. Um, uh, What about, is there any way that there's some language in there that, because I mean, they didn't release their language. Because the reason I think of Sentinel's up is they rewrote it, but they didn't let anyone else see what they rewrote. Oh. How they, could released, that be? they released it an hour before the meeting. You're, as long as you notice the meeting, you're allowed to come to a meeting and say, I'm proposing new language. So no one who got to testify knew what the new language was. We were obviously scurrying to try to understand what the new language was. Uh-huh. And do you think there's a way to try to backdoor some way of stopping the Hotel Duncan conversion? I don't even think that there should be an interest in doing that because um, I've been told by folks that that's not their interest um i've got to believe that that's what they meant and uh, i've got to trust that when they say that that they that they are being honorable and that that's what they meant okay i think i'll continue asking questions about what you can answer for yourself how's that (laughs) you don't have to interpret for anybody else you don't have to be the whisperer um the elm city y gym is closing and uh, that was the only kind of commercial downtown workout place okay. available. Is that do you do you go there? Where do you no, go? No, I don't go there. I used to go um, to the gym that was its predecessor over in the in the doctor's building over on George Street. But yeah, I go to Emerge. It's cheaper. Where is that? Uh, well, there are two that I can go to either one in West Haven and one in Orange. Okay. I mean, one in in Hamden and one in Orange. Okay, so people were very upset about that. I didn't know if you had any inkling from the city hall crowd about if people go there and work out. Uh, you know, no one has said anything to me about it. The place has a private gym for the people who live there. Oh, uh, okay. So that's kind of the issue. You know. Oh, I see. I see. That's, that's the thing about it. You so, know, I, one of the things I'd love to see um, is a gym downtown uh, so that people, we are really pushing um, physical activity, particularly for our city employees. Dr. Carol Burks had a busy first week as Mm -hmm. superintendent of schools and a really interesting issue came up. She went to the finance committee meeting at the, at the board of ed, Mm -hmm. which has become a fireworks place now. (laughs) And, uh, you know, scrutinizing spending all that. And they were looking at the um, $25 million a year we spend on busing. Yep. And some members of the board of ed felt that we could spend less on busing since we have, I believe a $7 million deficit for the year we're ending. And they're going to have to cut money next year too, for the next budget. And um, they said, you know, why why are we spending so much on busing? Is it possible that we could have fewer buses and have high school kids take the Connecticut Transit bus, which, of course, Connecticut Transit would have to up its game a little bit. Um, could we have suburban kids who go to magnet schools, get their towns, or have them come in on CT Transit? Could you have um, any other ideas? And Will Clark, the chief operating officer, said no, that even if you got rid of some high school routes, you still have those same buses that we use for other routes. Members of the board has said that there's got to be some way that we could be spending less than $25 million. And uh, and I know that Victor, I forget his last name, the former chief financial officer, had been working on some plans to cut a million and a half. And Carol Burke said she was interested in looking into this more. What's your gut on this? Well, I, I, 
I think it's a very complicated in New Haven. One, because we have so many magnet schools. And we are bringing kids in from all over the region to go to school here in New Haven. And we're required by state law to um, find a way for them to get to school. The other concern that makes it more complicated is that for high school, you really want kids to come to school. And if you make it harder for kids to come to school by saying you've got to take the bus, you've got to walk, um, you may lose uh, the attendance that we've been working so hard to get. So it's a very complex issue. You would think that it wouldn't be, but it really is. I think one thing that makes it hard, um, more complex is what you just brought up about magnet schools. So this is right. multi-generational. We made a decision. We want schools of choice in New Haven where they have different themes and parents can pick. And that was very popular. You know, that parents say, I like that I, I have an artsy kid. I want to send him to Betsy Ross or uh, I got a kid who's into um, science, going to get into ESUMS. And also, but you know, at the base of it was a lot of parents felt they didn't want their kid going to school in their neighborhood because it wasn't good enough. So you have this lottery where everybody's competing to get into Edgewood, to get into Hooker. And I think some crazy busting stuff happens as a result. Because I know someone's telling me, for instance, at a Catherine Brennan in West Rock, you got some kids who apparently spend an hour each way on the bus in New Haven, not suburban mm-hmm. kids, to get to and from school and their siblings going to another school. And I don't know if there's an answer to fix a lot of the stuff unless we have every neighbor. I know that's an idealistic thing. Every neighborhood school will be good enough that parents want to send their kids there. That's our goal. That's what we've got to work towards. And you know, I've talked to Mayor Mike D'Agostino, who does a lot of education work at the Capitol. He thinks the whole move in our state is going away from magnet schools anyway. Some people think magnet schools are really important. They bring racial diversity. They bring people that's good to go to schools in other neighborhoods. Basil Rosario was talking about that. She likes people leaving their neighborhood. Um, it does have specialized concepts. It brings suburban kids in with urban kids. And then other people feel like uh, it's cost a lot of money. You don't have enough for what you're doing in your own city as a result, and that you don't need to be sitting next to someone from another community, especially elementary school. I think high school is a different ball of wax. But in K-8, they kind of feel like the neighborhood school model could work. Do you think there's a switch back to that? You know, I honestly don't. I don't think so because we're so invested, especially here in New Haven, in that model. So uh, it it actually would cost us so much more to educate kids in New Haven if we ever left that model because we get an, an incremental payment from the state of five to $7,000 per kid for the uh, magnet schools. And if we didn't get that, we would have a different quality school. Are we, are we paying it off to have so many suburban kids in them or not? I thought that was part of the deal. They pay us to build it and then we reserve spaces for suburban kids. Well, we do reserve spaces, but they also pay us to operate it. And I think that's where um, that's where we're going to run into problems because we would probably still want to operate it at the same level, but we wouldn't be getting the same amount of uh, support that we're currently getting gotcha. if we if we ever got rid of them. So in the in the short term, do you think there are ideas? The bus is that one place that can be cut, or do you think it's true that it's just it's very complicated, and once you pull one string, something else is going to cost more, and you don't want unintended consequences like high school kids not coming to school? And, you know, I will tell you that I met with a bus company to see if we could, to ask them to sharpen their, yeah, sharpen their pencils and do some reductions. They said, we have the greatest staff. They've already cost them money by the way in which they schedule. And uh, what they want us to do is to go out to bid. 
because they believe that we're paying them too little. <laughs> and so uh, we can, I believe, go out to bid to, and to sort of see whether or not they're bluffing us. But Ooh. then if we go out to bid and, in fact, uh, everyone is higher than they are and they're higher uh, 8 to 10% more than we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot. So, you know, it's just trying to understand. So interesting. Yeah. So the the call. So will we call it? So there's. But why is it in their interest to say if you don't go out to bid, we'll continue at the same price? If they're no, they money? they're not willing to continue at the same price. They want to go up. So either way, we're going. So it does make sense to put out the bid either yeah, way. Yeah, it does. And I uh, wow. So you think we're actually going to be spending more than twenty five million? I think we might. Wow. Do you think if this hadn't been brought up, they would have stayed at the same price or no? Because no, losing. I think they wanted to go up. I mean, that was my sense in in having the discussion. Well, costs do go up. They do, they do, and you know it is. And and as you pointed out at the beginning, it is an expensive system. All right, and you were also you've been up at heart for a lot this session <laughs> for the general assembly. A lot of stuff that you're caring a lot about. Got to see a lot of my old friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and last week you were up talking about Sweet New Haven Airport. Yes. And getting the runway, and boy, every time we write about that, you get a flood of people writing in. They really they have a lot to say about whether to um, extend the runway from fifty five hundred to sixty five hundred uh, feet. What's your sense of how that's going to go? That was tucked into another bill about solar energy at airports. Do you think, what, what's your sense from the inside of how that's going to play out this session? Well, you know, I, I, I'm, we're, we're working hard to try to move at this session. I think it's really important to get it moved. It's important to our future economic growth in this, um, in, in this city. And when you think about the uh, cities that, and regions that airports have grown, just uh, starting with Atlanta, Charlotte, Denver. Um, and uh, we've just got to do that if we're going to move this state. You know, everybody is talking about how we're failing to thrive economically. Th this 1,000 linear feet will make all the difference in the world for us economically. It will get our academics in and out of here. Uh, we'll have sales forces that want to, uh, that can actually have company, the companies that we have here can have their sales forces based here. And uh, it's it's unfortunate that that airport was there before there was a house there. But we've recognized how important it is for it to be comfortable for people to live there. So uh, we went to the FAA. They gave us $5 million to retrofit these houses. We've talked about that before. You can't hear a thing. People are very excited about it. We're working on ways to reduce traffic, most of which, by the way, has nothing to do with the airport, but um, it's people cutting through to East Haven. Um, you know, and, and I understand people just not wanting what they consider to be change, but keeping it this way, having it morph into a general aviation airport, because the airport isn't going anywhere, is less safe for that community. And it does nothing that to build our economy. Safety, fewer safety standards. That's like we've had those crashes. Yeah, fewer safety standards. And, you know, you don't have the have to live up to the FAA commercial standard. And, you know, so I, I, I think it helps our economy. We've uh, done community benefits out there. And, um, and it's not going anywhere. It'd be different if by not doing this, you could remove the airport. It's here they to stay. Been. We well, got an amen on My, Facebook. Inner yeah. City writes in, we cannot talk about economic development without linking transportation 
air, rail, and automobile. Absolutely. We need to become a real hub. So you got an amen. And we, we really do. And, you know, every place else in America seems to understand that. All right. Well, but even if we get flights from Florida, even if we get a long runway, get flights from D.C., you are not going to be allowed legally to come on those flights and bring fracking waste to New Haven. <laughs> because as of last week, we passed a ban. The Board of Alders passed a ban. I don't know if you've signed it yet. That Even though I don't think there's any fracking around here and the state doesn't allow any fracking, you're not allowed to bring any products that were developed with fracking waste. So I didn't know this. Construction and road maintenance products are made from fracking waste. Fracking waste when they put you know that high speed um, water into the ground right. and, and explode. There's the, a lot of waste that comes yeah, out. Gas <laughs> Natural gas and oil come up. And, uh, what kind of products do they make now? Are, are we being a little I was high just reading here? construction <laughs> road maintenance products made from fracking waste. So if someone's trying to um, come on one of our flights you're hoping to see from Tweed, they're going to have to keep <laughs> the fracking waste at home. Well, I hope they do. You think the TSA might be keep an eye out for it? They might, you know, like, I think they probably will. nothing gets past the TSA. I learned that from Key and Peel. And, you know, you can only carry, what, uh, one bag? Um, two bags. Uh, no, we're actually one bag because they're smaller planes. Right. And so, you know, I don't know. You have to be a lot of bags to have it make a difference. Oh, you got a hallelujah from Eric Mastriani. <laughs> the uh, Republican governor candidate says, if you expand Tweed Airport, you will expand in tourism and in business. Mayor Harp, that got five exclamation points. <laughs> All right. He feels strongly about this, as do you. I know. We've got something in common. Thank you. And I feel strongly <laughs> about thanking you for being on Mayor Monday. I love when you start our week off this way. It always makes the sun come out a little brighter. Thanks for uh, Gateway Community College and Birch and Moses PC for providing finance support. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for the comments. Thanks, Eric, for joining the show. Good luck in your own campaign. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience. Forming, I wish I knew how it feel to be free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. So may you be blessed with peace. May you be blessed with well-being. And may you be blessed with love. Love.